On the last, complicit. Right from day one, this was not a normal missing person case. This is not a missing person case. This is a case involving foul play and a possible homicide. I have not had any updates personally in weeks. I feel that we've hit a wall. There was no forensic evidence that these cadaver dogs hit on everything. This is what I was told. It was probably just methane gas. Where the fuck is Lauren? Today marks one year since Cape Coral mother Lauren DeMolo mysteriously disappeared. We know people who are um, responsible and we just need to find that peace. It's tough not to have the answers that we want at this point, uh, investigating it for this long, uh, but we're always hopeful. Where is Lauren DeMolo? I'm Hillary Wadsworth. And I'm Caitlin Boddy. And you're listening to Complicit. Chapter 21, Holding Back. Where Lauren once felt at peace, meditating in the grass, overlooking the water at Four Freedoms Park, there now sits a bench dedicated in her honor. An inscription reads, Lauren is always with us, our angel. Hashtag bring Lauren home. Family, friends, and community members are joining this weekend to honor Lauren DeMolo. She disappeared from her home. The unveiling of the bench and dedication ceremony was held on June 19th, 2021, which marked the one-year anniversary of Lauren's disappearance. The event was filled with emotion as Cassie bravely spoke about her memories of Lauren and thanked those in attendance for supporting her family throughout the worst year of their lives. As Cassie held back tears, she described how this bench would signify a place where family, friends, the community could go to connect with Lauren in the absence of a final resting place. After all, Lauren is still missing, and there are still no definitive answers as to what happened to her. The Cape Coral Police Department chaplain spoke as well, and the Cape Coral police officers and detectives were on hand to show their support, but offer no further insight into what happened to Lauren. It's not for lack of trying on the part of the investigators, but the anticipation for resolution after Detective Jones named the three suspects we told you about in the last episode has been a bit short-lived and anticlimactic. At the time of this recording, Carl and Jose remain in police custody, awaiting their trials on charges unrelated to Lauren's case. Josh, who was also previously in jail on charges unrelated to Lauren, has since been released and remains on probation. None of these men have given police information relevant to Lauren's disappearance. One of the detectives leading the investigation is Detective Malone. He confirmed for Wink News that they've interviewed these persons of interest, but to no avail. The entire major crimes unit of Cape Coral has been involved. We have interviewed people of interest over and over again. It's tough. It's tough not to have the answers that we want at this point, uh, investigating it for this long, uh, but we're always hopeful. 
To put Lauren's case in a little more perspective, we spoke with a local journalist who is on the front line reporting the latest from the Southwest Florida area every day. My name is Caitlin Greenockle, and I'm a breaking news reporter for the News Press in Fort Myers, Florida. The News Press is a local Florida newspaper primarily covering Lee County, which includes Cape Coral. Caitlin is on assignment for all kinds of cases and describes what the typical crime is in the area. I would say it's like, you know, robberies, domestic violence, drugs, that kind of stuff. She also has a good handle on what will make the news in the area. And Lauren's missing person case met the threshold. I actually was assigned to do a follow-up story after the initial news broke that she was missing. I know it didn't hit the news for maybe about a week or so. My job was to kind of come in and try and track down family members, just kind of get the story of who Lauren is and what was going on at that point. Reporting news from all over Lee County, Caitlin has become familiar with the local police, including the detectives handling Lauren's case. I just know from working as a breaking news reporter, it can be difficult, you know, trying to talk to police and have them get what you want for your story. And it's it's a, a hard fine line of trying to get the information that you need for a story, but they also want to hold back information for their investigation, obviously. Caitlin told us about other missing persons cases in the area. We get missing person cases a lot. There were actually two women in Cape Coral who had gone missing in October of 2019. And I want to say within a few days, their bodies were found. And since then, a man has been arrested and he's going through the court process right now. The case she's referring to is the same one Lindsay told us about in the first episode, about her coworker who was murdered after a night out with friends. The perpetrator went on to attack another woman that same night. Those were the only ones that I could find that I I had actually reported on that were somewhat similar. But again, not really, because... They had remains within a few days. I did actually ask Cape Coral Police how many cases they've had since Lauren went missing. And they said they've had 43. I did also ask them, well, how many of those cases have been solved? And they said all 43. 43 missing persons cases since Lauren vanished and 43 cases closed. And prior to that, Detective Jones said he'd never not solved a missing persons case. That means Lauren's case remains the only missing persons case yet to be solved in Cape Coral, Florida. Detective Jones did answer Caitlin's inquiry into the status of the case one year later. He basically had put out there that they've been taking in tips all year. None of them have kind of panned out to any new information and that they're just hoping that somebody will come forward in the community that will lead to a break in the case. Caitlin notes that these events are important because they inject life into Lauren's case by giving the media a reason to shed its light. By them doing the different events and that kind of stuff, that kind of pulls the media out there to be like, hey, this girl is still missing. They're still doing stuff about it. It also draws the investigators who attend to show support for the family. I will say what's different is the family, and they are just so determined and not going to let it go. You think about your own family members and what you would do in that situation, and 
I think the fact that they have been speaking with people, doing podcasts, doing interviews, and keeping the events going, that's exactly what they need to do to keep Lauren's case alive. And I think that in itself will put pressure on investigators and things and just know that these people are here and they're not going anywhere. Although Detectives Jones and Malone could not publicly share any major updates regarding new information or leads in Lauren's case with the local news media, we know from our sources that the investigation has not been at a complete standstill. There have been additional people brought in for questioning, people we can't quite talk about yet because, similar to Carl, Jose, and Josh, these individuals were actually brought in on other charges, unrelated to Lauren, and they aren't giving up any information about Lauren to the police, even though the police believe they may know something. For now, just know that our sources have told us that these individuals have revealed very specific details, like Lauren's blood on a woman's wallet, a getaway car, and talk of where she is buried. Again, hearsay, yes, but these bits of information are just some of the details investigators are sorting through and trying to confirm. There is buzz on the street, just not behind bars. But oftentimes, as time goes by, people who may have been reserved or shy begin to open up and realize the importance of sharing information. Information they may not have wanted to share or may not have thought would be helpful or relevant. Since we began this podcast, you've heard a lot of names and you've heard from a lot of people. However, there were two people we've spoken about quite frequently but had not yet agreed to speak with us. People who would have seen Lauren day in and day out. Gabby and Victor. And finally, one of them was ready to talk. My name is Victor, and Lauren was my stepdaughter. Victor's name has been brought up all throughout the podcast, and at times, it hasn't been in the best light. But we want to give Victor the opportunity to tell his version of what happened and how things unfolded from his perspective. To do this, we'll begin by addressing the instances in which Victor was mentioned and give him the opportunity to tell his side of the story. Early on, Victor's name was brought up by Cassie when she asked him to go to Lauren's apartment to check if she was there. This was two days after Gabby called Paul to say Lauren was missing before Cassie had driven to Cape Coral to see for herself. This is how Cassie described it. It was Sunday the 21st, which was Father's Day. I actually got into a really big argument that day with my mother and with Victor because they pretty much made a joke about her being missing. I'm like, did you check under the bed? Did you check in the closet? Like, did you check in the bathroom? Victor made a joke and he was like, yeah, I even looked in the refrigerator and under the sink. And I'm like, okay, like, it's not a joke. Like, it's not funny. Victor recalls the conversation with Cassie in a similar light. Cassie called me up, wanted me to go over and check the apartment and make sure that she wasn't laying there dead from an overdose or something. So I took the key. I went over there. I called Cassie and told her I couldn't find her anywhere. And she said, did you look everywhere? And at this 
point, I was getting a little frustrated because it was like coming up on, on Father's Day and stuff. And I said, yes, I looked everywhere. I opened the closets. I looked in the tub, I under the bed, you know, anywhere I could possibly think to need. It's a little tiny apartment. Where do you want me to look? And she got a little aggravated with me. And, and that was the end of that until they needed the key to get back in. When Cassie, Lindsay, and Matt got the key and went to Lauren's apartment to check for themselves, Matt noted that there was no evidence of drug use. We asked Victor if he saw anything along those lines when he initially went to check the apartment. No, I wasn't looking for it. I was looking for a person. But no, I didn't see anything. The next notable mention of Victor's name was following Cassie, Lindsay, and Matt's discovery of Lauren's shirt two weeks after her disappearance while searching in Four Freedoms Park. According to Cassie and Lindsay, Victor was spotted nearby at the shoreline walking his dog just as the shirt was discovered and the detectives showed up to collect it as evidence. Lindsay and Cassie both claimed that Victor seemed uninterested and didn't bother engaging in conversation or asking more questions. But Victor shares his perspective when Lauren's shirt was discovered. I was walking my dog and then I saw the police. It's like, what's going on here? And then I look over and I see Cassie and, and Lindsay. It's like, okay, you know, I, they, they got this. I'm not, they don't need somebody else in here. And then Lindsay told me what was going on there. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Victor was equally as surprised by the discovery. When that shirt turned up, that was the weirdest shit I ever saw. Is that that shirt was not there. I know that wasn't there because I'm here every day. I walk my dogs over there every day, three times a day. And I would have seen that because I know that shirt. It was one of her favorite shirts. One of the most dramatic instances where Victor's name caught attention was when the investigators brought cadaver dogs to Four Freedoms Park to search. The dogs quickly detoured to Victor and Anne's apartment and Victor and Gabby's work van. We asked Victor for his thoughts on that day. I couldn't understand. The only thing I could think of was maybe they smell where my cat had passed away underneath the bed like a week or so prior. Lindsay confirmed there had been a cat living in Victor and Anne's apartment, but that it had passed away about a year earlier. But even so, cadaver dogs are specially trained to detect human remains and do not usually confuse human scents with other animals. Victor told us he was surprised when the detectives and dogs came knocking and couldn't offer any other explanation for the dogs going to his apartment. But then there was also the hit on the van. And as far as the van, well, it doesn't surprise me. She rode in that van continuously. Every time that Gabby picked her up from work, that's why Gabby had the van. Because they didn't, their car was down. And Oscar let him use the van to go pick Lauren up from work and bring her home every night. Oscar, remember, was Victor and Gabby's former boss and friend who sadly and allegedly committed suicide two days after the work van was returned by police. We asked him if he believed there was any connection between Oscar's death and Lauren's disappearance. No, that was issues between him and his wife, I would would guess. And just the coronavirus in general and everything that was going on was just too much for him to handle anymore. Staying on Victor and Anne's apartment, but shifting topics a bit, we wanted to clear up the issue of the maintenance man being in their apartment seemingly without a work order, the day that Lauren's mom, Anne, was found unresponsive on the bathroom floor. 
Yes, he was supposed to be here. The neighbor lady downstairs had a leak and he had to come in and fix the hot water heater. So he came, he knocked on the door and nobody answered. He knocked on the door and nobody answered. He went ahead and took the pass key and came in, fixed the hot water heater. And then when he went to go into the guest bathroom to uh, turn the faucet on to get the air out of the lines, he opened the door and quick closed the door and said, oh, I'm so sorry. And uh, he went and turned the kitchen sink on and drained it and, and left. Similar to the Oscar situation, we asked Victor if he thought the maintenance man was connected to Lauren's disappearance. No, I don't, I don't think any of that has anything to do with it. I think he was just somebody that liked to watch her sunbathing in her bathing suit. Victor didn't speak to us just to clear up misconceptions in places where he was mentioned in the podcast. He genuinely had information he wanted to share. Some of it corroborating what others had said, and some of it shedding new light on Lauren, her lifestyle, her relationship with Gabby, and what he believes may have happened to her. Having been someone who saw or spoke to Lauren almost daily, he confirmed that Lauren had been acting out of character in the weeks leading up to her disappearance, claiming that people were following her, but he assumed she would bounce right back. Jeffrey, Lauren's brother, was living with Victor at the time, and Victor recalled Jeffrey voicing the same concerns. Jeffrey picked her up one day when she was walking down the road, and she was saying something about they're following me, they're following me, and he picked her up and took her around and took her home. And he came home and said, I don't know what's wrong with her, man. She's talking crazy. Gabby, too, told Victor the same. As we've mentioned, Victor and Gabby are work partners, and have even lived together. And while Victor said their relationship was more professional, it seemed that Gabby did confide in Victor about his relationship with Lauren from time to time. We've discussed Lauren's past history of drug use, and her family was under the impression that she was clean and had been for two years. But Gabby was telling Victor that Lauren was using drugs again, that Gabby had no tolerance for it, and that it was the main source of their fights. She'd go out and she'd get a little bit messed up and she didn't want to come home in that condition. So she would just stay wherever she was at. According to Victor, sometimes it was Lauren who wouldn't come home and other times it was Gabby. Gabby would leave because she would come home all jacked up on drugs. He didn't want any part of that because they were trying to get Michaela back. And rather than fight, he would just leave. Michaela, remember, is Lauren's daughter who is currently living with her paternal grandmother. Victor relayed that Gabby was right there with Lauren in trying to regain custody of Michaela. He loved Lauren a lot. And he was trying to keep her on a straight and narrow, and he was the best person for her in her life, as far as I know, anywhere, because of the way he was. And he was real good with Michaela. He's great with kids. And all he wanted her to do was get straight so they could get Michaela back, and she, and she would be happy. But the allegation of Lauren having slipped back into drug abuse wasn't something known to the rest of her family. According to Paul and Cassie, Lauren had been clean for two years and was on track to regain custody of her daughter. But based on what Gabby had told Victor, he didn't seem to think that was the case. Everybody got mad at me because she's been clean for two years. No, she hasn't. If she was clean for two years, she would have Michaela back. And they all got mad at me, and then they don't talk to me no more. I really couldn't tell you because I didn't watch her take anything. 
but she told me she got some uh, ecstasy from the whoever these people are, and it was different. It wasn't the same. Ecstasy is a synthetic drug known for its hallucinogenic and stimulant effects. It's a different class of drugs from heroin. Victor said he never asked Lauren who had given her the drugs, but Gabby told him why she had them. Gabby told me about the ecstasy. See, he said that she brought it home and wanted to try it with him because it was a sexual enhancer. But according to Victor, Gabby abstained from all drugs and alcohol, so he declined Lauren's offer to do ecstasy together. I think that she bought it for them, and then he wouldn't take it, so when he went to work or something, she went ahead and took it because she didn't. it's not like you can get a refund. I think that's when the whole thing first started happening. Victor is referring to the onset of Lauren's erratic and paranoid behavior. He explained that this all happened just prior to June 1st, 2020, the day she was Baker acted for the first time. The same day she wrote a note to her daughter and left it at her mom and Victor's apartment. Strangely, Victor was unaware that Lauren wrote and left that note in his apartment. No, I know nothing of this note. I would remember something like that. The mental facility where Lauren was taken on June 1st had diagnosed her with brief psychotic disorder as a result of postpartum imbalances after her abortion on May 22nd. They did run a drug screen on her, but not until 72 hours after she had been admitted, according to her father, Paul, who was Lauren's medical proxy. According to a PubMed article written by Canadian researcher Dr. Harold Collant, ecstasy has a half-life of eight hours, so it takes just 40 hours for 95% of the drug to leave your system. We know that she had Suboxone and marijuana in her system at the time of her drug test, but we might never know if Lauren did ingest ecstasy, as Victor theorized. Regardless, Lauren had been paranoid, and everyone could attest to that. We circled back to the idea that Lauren had been looking for a new apartment and had approached the maintenance man the day before she allegedly went missing. She talked to him about an apartment because she thought something was going on with the neighbor lady because she kept hearing the neighbor lady through the walls talking shit about her. And then they called the police, and the police went over and asked the neighbor guy about it. And he said, that lady hasn't been here for three days. And that's when everybody was saying, like, man, Laura's talking crazy. I don't know what's going on with her. Most of the time, she would be normal, normal, normal. As soon as she got over by that apartment, it's like the crazy set in. And that's why I think she wanted to get out of that apartment. And that's why she said she wanted to get out of the situation she was in, because that apartment was making her act crazy. Chapter 22, Last Known Whereabouts. One of the most important things to clear up in any missing persons case is someone's last known whereabouts. We've mentioned that on Thursday, June 18th, 2020, Lauren was released in the morning from the Park Royal Psychiatric Facility. She was then seen on surveillance cameras applying for jobs, and she used her cell phone to call, text, and post on Facebook throughout the day. 
She spoke with her sister Cassie around 6.30 p.m. and then sent her last text message. It went to Jose and Josh and read, you guys coming? A witness then puts her at Josh's apartment that evening. Her departure time is unknown. But on June 19th, we don't have much. Gabby says he kissed her goodbye around 6.30 a.m. The maintenance man says he saw her around 8.30 a.m. And Josh said he saw her walk by his place at 10 a.m. But we only have one verifiable data point on this day. An outgoing Facebook Messenger call at 10 a.m. from Lauren's cell phone to Gabby's phone pinged using the Wi-Fi in her apartment. Since we haven't had the opportunity to speak with Gabby directly yet, we asked Victor to walk us through his days, which included contact with Gabby on Thursday, June 18th and Friday, June 19th, 2020. Thursday, she got out of the Baker Act and she called my phone and wanted to talk to Gabby. I didn't physically see her. I just talked to her on the phone. Gabby wasn't answering his phone because it was in the truck and I had mine. So I gave Gabby the number that she had called me from because she was using Wi-Fi. And he tried to call her, she didn't answer. I tried to call her, she didn't answer. I think we worked a a normal shift. We would have been home at like five o'clock. So when we got home, he took the company truck and went over to talk to her and wound up spending the night. We asked Victor what he knew about Lauren going out that Thursday evening to that get together at Josh's place, a mile from her apartment. According to Gabby, she, her and Gabby would just sit at the house the whole time and talk. On the 18th? Yes, on Thursday. He said that when he got there, they talked for hours and hours and they were going to work it out. We spoke with Victor on Zoom video, and we saw how genuinely surprised he was to learn that Lauren did go out the evening of the 18th and may not have been home all evening, as Gabby said. He didn't say anything about her leaving and coming back. She was there and it, she never left or anything. They, they were just trying to work things out. And that, they were, that she was going back on the straight and narrow and going to try to get Michaela back again. Victor did posture a couple theories about Lauren going out that evening. The only thing he would, she would have done is gone to the store to get cigarettes or something. Of course, when she goes to the store to get cigarettes, it's like an hour, two hours. And who knows, when he went to sleep to go to work, she could have disappeared back before he woke up. I, I have no clue. Whether or not Victor knew about Lauren leaving her apartment the evening of Thursday, June 18th, he's certain that Gabby told him she was there on the morning of Friday, June 19th. He came in Friday morning saying everything's great. He gave her a kiss goodbye, and then everything was great. He, he was happy, happy, happy. And then on Friday, we all went to work, and nobody heard from her. We know that Lauren's phone was used to make a call to Gabby using the Facebook Messenger app at 10 a.m. on Friday, June 19th, and that Gabby maintains he didn't receive the call. Victor told us that normally, when Lauren can't get a hold of Gabby during the workday, she calls him. But Lauren did not call him that day. Friday, we worked a double shift and we didn't get home till like nine o'clock. We took the van, went over to stay with Lauren. Then he came over to pick me up Saturday morning and said that Lauren never came home that night. He was assuming that she went out and got all jacked up again and just didn't come home and he was done with it. He was going back and 
he's not going back over there anymore. That's why I say she would disappear a day or two here and there, and then she'd always come back and everything when they make up and everything would be fine. That was the up and down relationship that they were having because I think they truly loved each other. And that, that's pretty much the next thing I know Lauren's missing. Victor continues to see Gabby every day. They are still work partners and still commute together. He's very aware that public opinion does not favor Gabby, and he admits that even he questioned everything at first. Because I have my suspicions also, you know, but that's all it can be is suspicions. Because you want answers, so your mind probes everything that's a possibility. So you're looking for any little thing that you could possibly lead you to an answer. And I've heard nothing. By now, I would have heard something. It's like I work with him every day. I mean, you know, something like that. You can only hold it in so long and then something slips, something comes out. Nothing has happened like that. Victor believes that because Lauren's body hasn't surfaced, that there's a good chance she's still alive. They think that Gabby killed her and took her and dumped her body somewhere. The body would show up. He's not that smart. Like everybody else, I'm trying to figure out what happened. I actually think she might still be alive somewhere being trafficked. She'd still be alive, but it'd still be a sad day. Lauren's family and friends have continued to have sad days, with answers just out of reach for more than a year now. We've made several attempts to talk to Gabby and have reached out to the lawyers of the other suspects mentioned by police, but so far, no one has returned our messages. Our invitation to talk still stands, however, if any of those individuals are listening to the podcast. Back in Four Freedoms Park, the commemorative bench in its serene setting will have to serve for now as the de facto place of honor for Lauren. Until there are more people coming forward, more answers, deeper investigation, the case remains at a standstill. And the question remains, where is Lauren DeMolo? I'm not going to stop until I find out what happened to my daughter. Thank you for listening to Episode 8. At this point, we await updates on the case just like everyone else involved. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening because the moment we do have any kind of break in the case, we'll update you. In the meantime, please share this show with others. You never know who has information and is ready to talk. Help us bring Lauren home. Thanks for listening to Complicit, a true mystery podcast about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo. If you have any information about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo, please call 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. Or go to www.capecops.com slash tips. Or you can text a tip to crimes. That's 274637. Tips can be left anonymously. And there is a reward currently being offered for information leading to an arrest. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and continued developments in Lauren's case. For additional information you won't hear and can't see on the podcast, visit our website at complicit-podcast.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook at Complicit Podcast, 
on Twitter at complicit underscore pod and on Instagram at complicit underscore podcast. Complicit is a production of Seventh Guest Productions and produced by Resonate Recordings. And now, here's another podcast we like, and you may as well.